0: Today we want to wrap up our 8-week series on the life of King David. David is one of the central figures of the Old Testament. That's the part of the Bible that predates the earthly ministry of Jesus. So today we come towards the end of King David's end of King David's life. So whether you're cautious about Jesus, you're just here exploring the Christian faith or whether you're committed to following Jesus, we've just been diving in together trying to learn what God would teach us from the life of King David. Well, you may be familiar with that old story where Hernando Cortez and his army land in Mexico, and then Cortez tells his men to burn the boats. That's very inspiring. Burn the boats. But if you learn what happened to most of those people, I bet they wish they had those boats back. It was very inspiring, but it was not very smart. Burn the boats. And the reason for this is when you try something new or when our church tries something new or whatever, the most important thing is to have a game plan, Write A game plan. How are we going to make this thing work? But in the back of your head, it's also helpful to have an exit strategy. Like, how are we going to get out with our integrity intact if this doesn't work out with minimal harm done? So a game plan is most important, but it also helps to have an exit strategy, And the truth is, life kind of works the same way, though it's most important is to have a game plan. How are we going to make this work? But play the movie forward 100 years. When you play the movie forward 100 years, none of us are here, right? So someone else is, is shaping your family. Someone else is doing your job. Someone else is pastoring this church, hopefully. I don't think I have 100 more years in me most days, 99 maybe, but we'll see. Someone else will be leading your ministry team. Someone else is doing your job. Someone else lives in your house. So we need a game plan. We also need to, in the back of our head, be thinking exit strategy. So this brings us to our passage for today. It's what Katie read for us earlier. And we're getting to the end of King David's life. And what we learn at the end of his life and part of what he's modeling for us is he has more than an exit strategy. He wants to leave a legacy. He wants to leave things better than he found them. And so 1 Chronicles 28.2 says, King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I've had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and I made plans to build it. So this is King David's final State of the Union speech, and everybody's assembled, they're excited to hear, but they're a little nervous, and their frail king stands up to his feet. What will he say? What he says is he shares this dream that he's always had deep in his heart. He has always wanted to build a temple where God's people could come and God's people could worship. He he cared so much about this, he's had blueprints made for it. So, a few years ago, there was a book that was written, and the book, name of the book, it became very popular, it was called Halftime. And the point of the book was that at halftime of a person's life, for instance, you go and you evaluate your game plan, is what I'm doing working? And the author of the book, as a Christian, at the halftime of his life, and halftime can occur for different people at different times, but at his halftime, he decided the first half of his life had been about success, the second half of his life would be about significance. That the first half of his life had been about what he could earn, and the second half was going to be about what he could give. And so when we look at King David, I think we see this similar sort of thing, that he's had this sort of halftime transition. He wants to build this temple for God and for God's people, but it's not an ego thing for him. It's not, I can, account, I can really do this, I can prove myself. This is a dream he's had deep in his heart, and he desires to do it. So, as we walk through the passage for today, I hope you and I will look together for insights about how to have more than an exit strategy, but actually how to leave a legacy, to leave a legacy in your relationships, in your, in your family, to leave a legacy on your team or on your campus, in your ministry team, in our community, in the work that you do. Some of these will apply to you, and some of them may not apply quite as much depending on where you are in life. And the truth is they can apply to life in general and coming to the end of our lives, but they can also apply as you come to the end of a phase of life, come to the end of a commitment. So let's look together at these. What can we learn? What can God teach us from the life of King David about how to leave a legacy more than just have an exit strategy? Here we go. Number one, number one, number, 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 number. One. Very good process of elimination. Number one, accept limitations and yield to God's larger plan. Accept limitations, yielding to God's larger plan. Chapter 28, verse 3 says, "'But God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name, because you are a warrior and have shed blood.'" So David has this desire. He's got a deep in his heart desire to build God's temple. And the truth is, David's last years have been pretty rough. If you've been here the last two weeks, you will remember I keep saying the last two weeks were not Hallmark movie sermons. Almost lost half the congregation. Apparently, a lot of people like Hallmark movies. But the last few weeks have not been Hallmark movie sermons. They've been tough. David had some really tough years in there. He made some bad decisions, and the play out of that was a whirlwind for years on end. So, wouldn't it be great here at the end of my life, I can build this temple, I can go out on top? So, it makes sense to me. And God says, nope. I don't know if that's a direct quote from God, but but in substance it is, nope. God makes clear to David, he is not going to get to build the temple. Yes, the temple's going to get built, But David's not gonna get to build it. David's not gonna get to see this dream he has come to fruition. This happens multiple times in the Bible, where, for instance, Moses led the people in the the wilderness for 40 years to the promised land. Did Moses get to, to go into the promised land? Nope. So David's in sort of that same boat. He's coming to the end of his life, the reality is sinking in more and more. He's desired to see this temple built, but it's not gonna happen on his watch so he has to decide what he's going to do. He has to make a decision. Is God a character in his story or is he a character in God's story? That's a big question. Is God a character in your story or are you a character in God's story? Who's in charge? Who sees the big picture? David is faced with this decision that he won't get to see his dream come to fruition. So, how's he going to respond? Is he going to pout? is He going to burn the blueprints? That gets me to point number two. Pass along the blueprints. Point number two is to pass along the blueprints. There was a section of the passage that Katie did not read, a kind of an intermediate part. The reason we left that out is those are the blueprints. And King David goes to the new, who will be the new king, his son Solomon, and hands him in detail the blueprints to this thing, in detail. If you want to read all the details, you can look at those verses right there. If this sermon gets totally off the rails, you can start reading it right now. You might enjoy it. But the point is, pass along the blueprints. It sort of has this sense of like, here's the blueprint, Solomon. And here's a drawing I made on a napkin one time, and here's a sticky note I wrote down. I mean, he gives him everything in excruciating detail. And what David is doing here is he recognizes this is actually God's project. God is the one actually doing the work here. And David's job was to get it from where it was to where it is today. And now he's supposed to pass it along to Solomon so Solomon can pick up where he left off. Now, if you've ever had something deep in your heart that you care about, you realize how hard that is. You can see the work that God the Holy Spirit has been doing in King David's life. Because it's a hard thing to see, this is dream that I had, this is thing I've desired so deeply, and now I realize, and it's just a baton I'm supposed to hand to the next runner. That's hard. That's very difficult. But that's what King David's choosing to do. David realizes God's work is more important than his role in it. God's work is more important than your role in it. God's work is more important than my role in it. Do we believe that? Do you believe, do I believe that God's work is more important than my role in it? Because when we do come to believe that, it gives us the courage to open up our hands a little bit. It gives us the courage to pass along the blueprints instead of say, well, if I don't get to do it, they're just going to to figure it out on their own. Number three, point number three, is to support but don't lionize your successor. Support, don't lionize or oversell uh, your successor. (laughs) Chapter 29, verse 1, listen to the rousing endorsement King David gives to the new King Solomon. King David said to the whole assembly, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. How's that for a rousing endorsement? He says, here's his descriptions of his successor. He is young and inexperienced. So not too many years after the halftime book came out, a a book came out called Good to Great, and it was comparing good leaders and great leaders. And one of the points was you can't always tell when they're actually leading. Where you learn the difference is when people retire, that great leaders will try to set their successors up for even greater success, and good leaders actually hope the organization struggles in their absence, so that everyone will realize what a good leader they were. So, David is not overselling how great a King Solomon is going to be. And at first, you're kind of like, come on, David. But then I actually think it's, it's actually pretty insightful It's pretty insightful to do this because he clearly endorses Solomon. He clearly says Solomon is God's choice. God's behind Solomon. I'm behind Solomon. All you jokers better get behind Solomon. Solomon is the choice. But he also emphasizes at the same time, Solomon is not superman. There are going to be some bumps in the road, when, and he's got a tall order ahead of him. He's young, he's inexperienced, and he's doing something we've never done before. There are going to be bumps in the road when we move from someone who's been a king for 40 years to someone who's been a king for one minute. There will be some bumps. Be prepared for the bumps, but I still support our new king. So support, but don't lionize. Don't lionize your successor. Don't set them up to succeed, not to fail by overselling who they're going to be. Number four, this is number four, number, number, number. Finally, number four is to model generosity towards the legacy. Model generosity towards the legacy. Verse 2 of chapter 29, David says, "...with all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God." So, David says he supports Solomon, but then he takes it a step further. He starts to fork over a bunch of stuff his gold, his silver, his precious stones, his precious metals. He's, I'm giving this so that we can start to build this temple. And that's when the people kind of realize oh, wait, he really does support Solomon. He's starting to, to act behind his words. So, so David models financial generosity, but there are other kinds of generosity. You can be generous, for instance, with your time. You can be generous to take the time to check back in because you care so much about the work the team is doing. You can be generous with kind words. You can be generous with your presence at key moments. But the point here is having some kind of action that backs up your words. So, what David has done is he gets sort of towards the end of life, but with a focus on leaving a legacy, he realizes it's not all his to do. He's done his part, but he has limitations. Now, it's his responsibility to pass it along. And so, he passes along his blueprints, he passes along his support to his successor, and then, and this is the important point, he starts to put actions behind his words so that it's clear he means what he is saying. If you keep reading the passage, you'll actually see that his his approach had a huge impact on the leaders of Israel. They were so excited that David was so excited, they started to fork over their stuff, their gold, their silver, their precious stones and metals for the temple. So at this point, you realize Solomon is set up to succeed. And then the people, the nation was so excited, their leaders were so excited, they all were filled with joy and worshiped together. Now, some of y'all are starting to put the pieces together, and and you're thinking, okay, I get it. The point of the sermon this morning is I'm supposed to put Lake Forest Davidson in my will, and that is not the point of the sermon this morning. Now, I think you should put Lake Forest Davidson in your will. I have people who can help you do that, but that's not the point. We're also, some people are thinking, okay, I think I know the point. We're in the process of trying to buy land and make blueprints and buildings and all that kind of stuff. That's, he's going to turn towards that. Nope, that's not the point this morning either. That would have been really smart if that had been the point, but that's not the point uh, this morning either. And part of the reason that's not the point is, is I think like moving towards a, a more permanent facility over these next years, I think that's an important step for the life of our church, but I don't think that's the legacy of our church. This, the sermon this morning is about legacy. And I don't think that's the legacy. I think it's a tool to make our legacy a generation after generation legacy, but I don't think the structure is the legacy. I think the legacy of a church and of our church is incubating faith. The legacy of our church is found in people, people in whose lives we incubate faith and then turn you loose, turn you loose to be an ambassador for Christ, turn you loose to be a builder of God's kingdom. In your life to incubate faith, in the life of your family, at this point in the lives of hundreds of college students who have come through here and graduated and then scattered to the ends of the world, and by God's grace, some of them stick around. In the lives of 21 folks, we've had to do some kind of ministry training with us, a fellowship, an internship, a summer staff, six people who've preached their first sermon ever at Lake Forest Davidson, and many of whom are now pastoring congregations. Our church has financially helped start six churches around the world from Charlotte, North Carolina to Tunisia, which is not in North Carolina. To <laughs> so spell further. My point in all this is, is to say, I think the legacy of our work together, our congregation together, the legacy is happening. The legacy is real. The legacy is beautiful. By God's grace, it will continue for generations to come. The analogy I like to use is a greenhouse. Like in a greenhouse, stuff gets incubated, and some of the stuff gets to stay there, and a lot of the stuff goes somewhere else. And it creates entire ecosystems, and in our case, kingdom, God's kingdom ecosystems. So that if we were to disappear tomorrow, and we do not plan to disappear tomorrow, but if we were to disappear tomorrow, the legacy is still there because the legacy is in the lives of people. And over time, people would forget our name, and maybe that's the point of the sermon this morning. That it's not so much about your name or my name or the name of a church it's about the name of god the name of jesus moving forward that the legacy is about something bigger not god being a character in our story but us being a character in god's story first chronicles 29:14 says this but who am i this is david speaking to god but who am i and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. These are some of King David's final words, and they demonstrate the heart out of which he did all this. How did he get to a point? How did such a powerful person get to a point of being able to say, no, I want to leave a legacy that's less about me and more about God? He came to the conclusion it all belonged to God in the first place. Deep in his heart, he became convinced it all belongs to God in the first place. So, David's preparing to step down as king, and he's, he's being more reflective about this, and he's realizing, I didn't create all these people. God created all these people. I can't satisfy their deepest desires by how I govern. Only God can satisfy people's deepest desires. I can't take all my possessions with me when I go into the life everlasting, so maybe they're not actually my possessions. Mine is a circle. If you think about the circle of what is yours, what is mine, mine is a circle. And the circle starts off really small. And then sometime by around the time you're like two or three, it has become a very large circle of what is mine. Believe me, I know. I wear a referee shirt at home. And sometimes I make the wrong call, but they don't know that yet. And mine will keep growing and growing and growing and growing until hopefully one day by God's grace it stops. And it begins to shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink. We didn't create all the people we love, God did. We didn't cause ourselves to exist, God did. Now, yes, we earn money, and yes, we dream dreams, but we do it with the skill and intellect that was given us. We may have honed it, but we didn't put it there in the first place. The mine circle starts to shrink back. This is what happened to David at the end of his life. His mine circle started to shrink back, and he began to realize again God's generosity. As your circle of what is mine, I pray, begins to shrink back, I hope and I pray you'll be overcome, overwhelmed by God's generosity to you. Look at all that God has given me. Look at all that God has put me in charge of, but it's God's, and I just got put in charge of it for a little while. I'm house-sitting for God. God let me borrow His car, let me live in His house for a little while. God has been so generous to us, and in fact, God lets us in turn be generous to other people and to His work in the world. It's kind of like a parent who gives their child an allowance, and then the kid gets to participate in something the family is doing. The parent could have just paid for it to start with, but part of the the genius of giving it to the kid to then participate is they share in the joy. That's kind of what God's doing. So, the big question Jesus asks us, and it's the question I want to reflect on for just a minute, the big question Jesus asks us is, think about the circle of mine, the circle of what belongs to you. Is your life in that circle? Is your very life in the circle of what belongs to you? Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Jesus is saying, here's the good news. You can find life You can really live. Your life can count for something. You can live for a purpose. You can make a wonderful difference in this world. Your life can can be worth something. Your life can continue eternally with God. So you can really live, and you will really live from the passenger seat. If you hold on, and if I hold on tightly to control of our lives, we'll lose it. We may gain the whole world but at the cost of our soul. Or in a moment of surrender, we may come to realize, as David realized, as billions of people have realized, we may come to realize our life is a gift from God. It's been given to us by God so that we can give it back into His hands. You can place your life into the nail-scarred hands of Jesus, where it will be forever safe. And in losing control of your life to Jesus, you will find life. In giving control of your life, in me giving control of my life over to Jesus, we will find life, Jesus says. You can try to save your life and you'll lose it. Or you can lose your life for me, Jesus says, you can lose your life for Jesus and there you will find it. Now, that is a scary step, being willing to put our own life outside of the circle of what belongs to me. But Jesus says, this is where we will find life, when we are willing to live from the passenger seat and let him in the driver's seat. Doesn't mean you got nothing to do except look at the scenery. You got plenty to do, but it's life from the passenger seat of realizing even your very life is a gift from God that you can give back into His hands. So the question I would ask you to reflect on with me as we prepare for a time of reflection, a time of communion, Dr. Bud will come and lead us here in a minute. The question is, is your circle of what is mine growing or shrinking? Is your circle of what is mine growing or shrinking? Are you holding on tighter, or are you becoming more open-handed to the work of God? Are you saving your life, or are you losing it? Is your life exuding joy or anxiety? Are you exuding generosity or greed? Are you just trying to make an exit, or do you want to leave a legacy? Are you a character in God's story, or is God a character in your story? The communion table is Jesus' invitation to come and to realize everything will be okay even if the circle is shrinking. Because in fact, in the hands of Jesus, it will work out better. You will find life you didn't know was even imaginable, and you'll find it in the passenger seat. Now, don't just move over to the passenger seat for anybody. Choose very carefully who you let sit in the driver's seat. Our lives are forever safe in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. So with that, I'm going to lead us in just a time of prayer and then Dr. Bud will come and lead us into communion. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. I'll just remind you that after the service, there will be someone in the prayer station if you would like to pray with somebody, but just take this quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I do thank You for our congregation gathered this morning. We come in with so many things, with our joys, with our worries, with our sadness clinging to hope. So Lord, I do thank You for the people who have left a legacy in us. We know some of their names. We don't know most of their names. I pray we too will desire to be those sorts of people. But we know for us to get there, you're going to have to do work in our lives. And so I pray we don't keep you at arm's length, but instead we would invite you in. That we would not hold on so tightly to our lives and what we think they should be, but instead would surrender, would open our hands up and say, Jesus Christ, lead me. Jesus Christ, change me. Jesus, I'm going to let the mind circle start to shrink I'm going to trust you to work that out. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.